unless Napoleon had some moves, right? Am I, am I like, all right, so here's a question. Uh, would you get up on this stage right now and dance for the next two minutes straight if you knew I would give you a million dollars? Of course you would, right? Easy. No problem. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, if you had gotten that million dollars, all right, and I said to you, uh, I want you to come up on stage, and uh, now I want you to invite your children to come up on stage and dance with you for the next two minutes, and if you and they will dance for two minutes straight, I will give each of your kids a million dollars as well. Would you do? Easy, right? I mean, that's not even like a question, of course. You're like, yeah, of course. Uh, I get a million dollars, my kids get a million dollars. Fantastic. Now what if I said, I want you to come up on stage and dance for two minutes straight, and I want you to invite a neighbor or coworker of your choosing that you would like to invite up on stage, and if they will dance with you for two minutes straight, I will give them a million dollars as well. Would you do it? But, but some of you are like, but I feel really awkward when I'm dancing in front of my friends. Like, I feel awkward when I'm dancing in front of my coworkers. Uh, and, and I've even heard, because I've seen some, like, stories on the news and stuff, that uh, a lot of my coworkers, I'm afraid, don't like dancing. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm not sure that if I invited them to come up on stage and dance with me, that they would actually want to do it. In fact, they might actually think that I'm weird. And, and, and I don't feel like I'm a very good dancer to begin with. And so, like, because I'm not that great of a dancer, a lot of times I feel a little bit awkward about inviting other people that don't dance to come and dance with me? And some of you are thinking, I don't know if he's actually talking about dancing anymore. <laughs> How much do you reckon a relationship with Jesus is worth? Uh, I do think that there is a lot of question in our day and age about whether people are really interested in being invited uh, to dance with Jesus, right? Because we see a lot of stories. Hey, guys, this is kind of a little hot. Sorry. We hear a lot of stories, I think, sometimes when uh, we're talking about uh, how our culture views Jesus, that our culture is becoming less and less Christian. Um, that there's less and less receptivity to people being invited into a relationship with Jesus or being invited to church or people are actually kind of against that. And so uh, we start to think to ourselves, and I'm not even that great of a Christian. I'm not that great of a dancer. And so uh, I'm afraid like to maybe possibly invite somebody in. And I don't know that even if I invited them, if they would actually want to come and be a part uh, of this thing that Jesus has captured my heart for. So we think, well... I'll just kind of leave this part of me like over here and then I'll have like the rest of me can kind of hang out 
in work and in my neighborhood and kind of be that person. But, but this Jesus thing kind of sits over here. Uh, a lot of that reason, I think, is because we're afraid of what people might say or what they might do or whether they would actually... There's uh, something called Chicken Little Syndrome. You ever heard of the story Chicken Little? Some of you have probably seen the movie. I'm about to blow a lot of your young minds uh, right now because uh, the story of Chicken Little actually goes like this. It's, it's about Chicken Little and a uh, little chick. Get it? Chicken Little. And he's walking around and a leaf falls off of a tree and hits him in the tail. And he flips around real quick and he looks up and he doesn't see anything. And he looks down on the ground and nothing's moving down there either. And he says, the sky is falling the sky is falling. And he starts freaking out. He says, i got to tell the king. And so then he goes and he finds Henny Penny, says the same thing. And then he finds Lucky Ducky and then Lucy Goosey and eventually Turkey Lurkey. And each one he keeps saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. we got to tell the king. And then they meet Foxy Loxy. And Foxy Loxy says, oh, I can introduce you to the king. He's in the back of my den. And so one by one, Foxy Loxy invites them all into the back of his den. Where they get eaten. I just blew all your minds. Like, that's not the story that I remember hearing growing up. That's because we knew a bunch of you snowflakes couldn't handle the fact that they're all going to die. <laughs> I'm kidding. Not really. But uh, they, they, they do all die in the original. Uh, it's a moral fable. Okay, to, to tell us that just because a lot of people say something doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. And you shouldn't just simply follow along with the crowd just because a lot of folks are saying it. Uh, there's been a lot of research that's been done uh, by Pew Research uh, Institute as well as uh, the center, the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton. Um, 2016, the Pew Research came out. Uh, 2018, the research um, to the Billy Graham Institute uh, came out, and this is uh, some stuff that they found. Um, there has been some real change in the United States in the last 20-some years. So 1990, 30% uh, of the U.S. population was uh, considered unchurched. Okay, that just simply means that um, that 30% had not been to a church in the last six months or more. Okay, for some it meant they just hadn't been, you know, in the last six months or a year. For others it meant they'd never been. All right. 2014. Uh, they did the same study, and they found that uh, that has increased by, uh, to a number of 45%. Huge increase. All right? Statistically speaking, that's massive. All right? So a lot of times you hear some of these headlines that, like, the sky is falling. Like, uh, there was actually one headline in the New York Times that said, Mainline Protestantism has 23 Easter's left. In other words, 23 years from now, nobody will be going to a mainline Protestant church if you just simply track out the numbers, all right? So a lot of times we're like, man, like, it's true. Like, I'm not going to invite. People don't even, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want me to talk about it. They don't want to be invited to church. Even if I do, nobody's interested in coming. Uh, but that's actually not what the research has found out. So I'm going to give you four quick things, and I'm going to bust through these really quick. Number one, this was the research. It says, if a friend of mine really values their faith, uh, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. So, 79% uh, of unchurched people, these are folks that say I've not been to church in at least six months, actually agree with that statement. If my friend really cares about their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. I don't mind them talking about it. So 80% of the people who are not connected to any church. Now, 
don't get me wrong, okay? Just because somebody goes to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus any more than standing in a garage makes you a car, okay? Now, there's often correlation there, and we can track uh, uh, church connection, church attendance, all right? Uh, but we can't necessarily track somebody's heart in the same way. But for those that don't go to church, they say 80% of them, I'm totally willing to listen to my friends talk about their faith if it actually matters to them, all right? Only 5% said they were very against a friend talking about their faith. Only 5%. And that's folks that don't have a, a, a church connection at this time. Uh, number two, how effective would invitations to church be? This was another interesting point. How effective would invitations to church be? 55% of family members say that it would be effective or very effective to be invited. 51% of friends say it would be very effective or effective to be invited by a friend. A lot of times we think, oh man, nobody's interested. But that's actually not true. And those are folks that aren't connected to a church. Now, that number actually jumps up to 75% if that person who's not connected to a church uh, identifies as a Christian. Okay? They're where they say, yeah, I'm not Muslim, I'm not agnostic, I'm not atheist, uh, I'm not Buddhist, uh, I identify as a Christian. They're 75% likely to accept an invitation from a friend or a family member. Uh, 33% of unchurched Americans say they are likely, check this, likely to attend church regularly again at some point in the future. Likely to attend church regularly at some point in the future. Now, uh, if we just take out millennials out of that, of course that number is then significantly different. Because actually 39% of millennials say that they are very likely to attend church regularly. You thought I was going to say like 10%, didn't you? Like those millennials, they don't. Millennials are actually more interested or at least say that they expect to in the future attend church regularly 39% more so than the rest of the uh, American society, all the other generations. See, the sky isn't falling in the same way that we often think. Like, oh, we're so unchristian and nobody really cares about church and nobody really cares about Jesus and nobody really wants to listen to me. They just think that I'm weird when I dance. Nobody wants to be invited to dance with me. But that's actually not true. In fact, uh, society's been changing and acting like this in many ways uh, for every generation. Right after the uh, um, Revolutionary War, I almost said Civil War, right after the Revolutionary War, late 1700s, uh, there was a number of uh, prominent writers, Christian writers, uh, that we have their writings, and they talk about the fact that uh, Christianity is uh, starting to die out in America. And we're like, but we were a Christian nation. The Constitution is filled with Christian ideas. And everybody at that time was saying, no, 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 like Christianity's dying out. Nobody wants to go to church. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Like that was in the late 1700s. Same thing in the early 1900s. Every generation has experienced this in one way or, an, uh, or another. And we're no different. We live in a changing culture, but that's not a new thing. That's a normal thing. You're like, all right, cool story, Tori, but what's your point? Well, I'm so glad you asked. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Now, if you are here this morning and a friend of yours has been inviting you and says, you should come and check out my church. Like, it's really cool. And they kept inviting you and you finally said yes and you showed up today and you're like, homeboy's talking about me. He's talking about me right now. 
Okay, first and foremost, uh, yes, I am. Uh, but quite honestly, I don't think you would have come to church, uh, or at least I think you'd be very disappointed if you came to church, and the dude that's supposed to be up front talking about how awesome Jesus is was really just faking it. And that I didn't really care or really believe that Jesus does anything or, 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 or can make a transformation in anybody's life. I think you'd probably be a little disappointed, or at least you'd probably think I'm a fraud. Like, why are you going to do what you do if you don't really believe it? Look, the reason that I want our church and I want my own personal self and every single person that calls TLC home to have an invitational heart, the reason I want all of them to dance like crazy and to invite you into the dance as well is because I know Jesus transforms lives. Because I've experienced it myself. And I'm not just blowing smoke because I'm the pastor. Like, I know who I was 20 years ago. And I see what Jesus is doing. Look, trust me, I got a long way to go. All right? He's not done with me yet. There's all kinds of things that I need to still change in my heart and my mind. But I know I'm different. And I've experienced what it's like to have hope in the midst of just some really, really dark times in my life. I've seen what it's like to find joy, even when, humanly speaking, everybody would say, man, how can you even begin to think about having joy? I've found that I'm way more generous than I definitely would normally want to be, and I can only attribute that to the work that Jesus has done. I give grace to people because of how much grace I've received. Like, Jesus changes everything, and I want you to know that. And so if you got invited to any, like, man, why am I here? And, like, like is this, like, some, like... I'm just a notch on somebody's belt because they, no. No, I just want you to at least possibly try the dance. And, 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 and if you're here today, and like you're not a follower of Jesus yet, or this is a whole new thing for you, or it's been a long time, just know this too. Uh, I don't expect you to believe all the things that I believe immediately. This is a safe place to ask questions. This is a safe place to, to, to bring in some doubts and, and say, man, I, I don't understand everything, or I don't get this, or cool, totally fine. But know this. Uh, there is a God who is very real, and he's here right now. And I promise you that he wants to transform your heart and mind and life because he wants to transform my heart, mind, and life. Nobody has arrived. Nobody is perfect. We've all got room to grow, room to continue to become the people he wants us to be. And so I, I want you just to simply know that. Now, as we dive into this text, uh, I want you to follow along. We're going to talk about two stories this morning. And uh, then I want to give you, uh, real quick, a, a few things that I think it means. And then I want to finish with uh, one, one particular story. So, John, uh, oh, excuse me, did I tell you to open up to John? Acts, right? Okay, sorry, I'm in the wrong spot. Acts chapter 26, here we go. It's a dude named Philip. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Some of it I'm going to paraphrase. Now an angel of the Lord, verse 26, said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So uh, my man, Philip, God's talking to him. Literally, God says, yo, go down to that road that heads south. You know the one I'm talking about, the desert roads. Philip's like, all right. So Philip goes up to the road. He's like, what now? Well, all of a sudden, there's this dude from Ethiopia, and dude is a baller, okay? 
Uh, he's got money. He's got influence. He's got connections. Uh, he's in charge of the entire treasury for the queen of the Ethiopians, all right? He's come to Jerusalem because he wants to worship, and he's hanging out in his chariot. Now, when Philip is down there and he sees the man, God says to Philip, Philip, I want you to go and run up and talk to him. And it's interesting that he says run. All right? It says the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. Now, uh, I don't know if the chariot was just parked, okay, or if the chariot's moving, but Philip's running. Like, if you're, if you're the dude in the chariot, right, you're just, like, chilling, going along, and this dude's just running next to you. <laughs> Finally, he says, hey, uh, what you up to? Why don't you come in? And they start talking. They have this conversation, and the, the eunuch, uh, the Ethiopian man says to him, he's like, hey, I'm reading this scroll, but I don't understand it. Can you explain it to me? And Philip's like, as a matter of fact, I can and uh, he reads a passage from the book of Isaiah, which is a prophecy about Jesus. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? In other words, I'm in. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that he died and rose again. I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I want to be one of his followers. Is there anything that stops me from doing that? And Philip's like, nope, I guess not. So let's go ahead and let's do the thing. And so he gets out of the chariot. They go down. He gets baptized. He gave orders to stop the chariot. They went down to the water. Philip baptized him. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, I think there's some very, very uh, basic things we can learn from the story, all right? In the story, what does Philip do? He simply listens to God and does what God asks him, right? God says, go to that road, that dusty road that leads out to the desert. Philip does it. Then what happens? He meets a guy, okay? Then what? All right, he tells the guy about Jesus, the guy believes, and he baptizes him. How does all this happen? Philip simply does what God asks him to, and then God does the rest. A couple of simple little applications we can take from that story. You're like, don't try to make it sound like it's that simple, Torin. Dude was reading a scroll from Isaiah. I don't even know where Isaiah is at in the Bible. If somebody's reading Isaiah, and God told me to go talk to him, and they said, what does this mean? I don't know that I'd be able to answer him. Philip's not like me. Philip knows how to samba, and Philip knows how to break dance, and Philip knows how to do that contemporary stuff. Philip can do ballet, man. I barely know how to do running, man. That was nice, though, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> as far as running man goes, like, that was pretty... So a lot of times we feel like, you know what, I don't know enough. I don't know enough, and so I don't want to go down to the road. I don't want to go to the road that leads south to the water cooler. Where my coworker might be. Where I would possibly have a conversation about what I did this weekend. Oh, you went up to your cottage? 
hung out, cool, I went to church. You see, we think we don't know enough. Like, I'm not going to know how to answer the questions if they ask this or ask that. Or, so I'll just sometimes be quiet. All right, you know, in some ways you're like, hey, it's a fair point. You maybe can't dance as well as Philip. Truth be told, I don't think I can either. Flip back just a little bit to the Gospel of John. You're in Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So just flip back one book to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm about to blow up all of our excuses for saying I don't know enough. You ready? John chapter 9, it says, as he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, like, whose fault was it? Dude's blind, always been blind. It's probably because he did something in the womb or his parents did something. And I love this story. I'm so glad that Jesus made sure that this was put in. Jesus says, it's not because either one of them sinned. It's so that my glory will be shown. So that God's glory will be shown. Like, I got plans for this man. And so, uh, verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, if I'm the man sitting there, like at this point, we don't really know that they've had really any conversation. <laughs> and then next thing you know, you got some saliva mud on your eyes. Like, whoa, hold up. And Jesus says, uh, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So obviously they had some sort of an interaction. And Jesus wants to heal the man. And so it's the Sabbath, a day that you're not supposed to be working, okay, on a Saturday, according to Jewish law. And uh, Jesus makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, and says, go wash the pool. Now, uh, the man, obviously, he's been blind his whole life. But he obviously knows how to get around. He knows how to get to the pool of Siloam because Jesus told him to go, and he goes. It's kind of like me in the middle of the night when it's, like, pitch black in my room, okay? Uh, we have at the end of our bed this, like, coffee table that is, like, razor sharp and super, like, I have no idea why we put it. It's a terrible place to put it. I can't even tell you how many times I've, like, whacked the toe or, like, scraped the edge of my shin on that dumb thing. But I've learned over the last three years that in the pitch black, I know when I'm coming out of the bathroom, I have two steps here, then I take a couple steps here, and then I go this way, and then I look at the clock, and I know exactly, and then I, I can get around. This cat knew exactly how to get to the pool of Siloam. And he goes, and he does exactly what Jesus says, and he can see. And everybody's like, yo, is that the same dude that's been blind his whole life? And now he's like walking around seeing stuff. And he's like, yo, it's really me. And, 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 and they're like, that's crazy. We need to go talk to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. You need to tell them. This is, this is unbelievable. So he goes and he tells them. And they're like, who did this? And he's like, I don't really know the man. The name Jesus. I don't know much about him. And, and they're like, don't lie to us. He can't do that. Who is this Jesus? And he's like, well, I don't really know. I think he maybe is a prophet. So then, then they go, the Pharisees, and get his parents. And they're like, hey, is this really your son? Has he always been blind? Can he see now? 
And they're like, why are you asking us all these questions? He's old enough, he can answer for himself. Because they were afraid. They were afraid that if they said the truth that Jesus had healed him, that they would get kicked out of the community. So they go back to the man the second time. This is where we pick it up. Verse 24, it says, The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that man is a sinner. In other words, if he's a sinner, he couldn't have done it on God's power. Tell us the truth. The man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This man wasn't like Philip who could like open up the scroll of Isaiah and explain how a prophecy about Jesus had finally been fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection. All he could say was, man, I don't know. <laughs> I just know I used to be blind, but now I can see y'all. And you's way uglier than I remember. <laughs> he didn't say that. It's kind of in the Greek, but not as... No, uh, he, he just says, look, I, I don't know... I just know I used to be blind, but now I can see. And you know what? At this point in the story, this man is not even a follower of Jesus. He doesn't even know that Jesus is the Messiah. And we find that Jesus then comes back to him after the Pharisees hurl insults at the man and kick him out. Jesus comes back to this man. And we see in verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And, he, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in the Messiah? The Messiah is coming to rescue everybody. And he said, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You see, you don't have to know everything. You just have to say whatever you've experienced. A witness doesn't like learn what they witnessed. They just talk about what they saw, right? That's what it means to be a witness. You just talk, like, look, the more you talk about it, too, the more you begin to learn about God and who he is. In fact, I want to give you seven ways that talking about our faith, that sharing what we found with others helps us. Seven quick truths. I stole these from Pastor Tim Challies. They're fantastic, but I'm going to blow through them. So if you're a note taker, you probably want to put down your pencil right now because you ain't going to be able to write it fast enough. Pull out your phone. You can go click, 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 and you can get all the pictures you want. Here we go. Number one, there is work to be done. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, Jesus says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. All right, the, the, the Tory version is the dance floor is big, but it ain't many people dancing. Send folks out to pull people onto the dance floor. There's work to be done. Number two, Jesus has commanded you to do it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus comes and says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach and obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Number three, success is guaranteed. John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. Look, if, if they're one of Jesus' sheep, they will listen to his voice. So when God calls and asks you to do this, success is guaranteed. You're like, but with every single person, well, the ones that are his sheep. And the truth is, is that there's work to be done. Jesus has commanded you and me to do it. All right, but not just me. See, a lot of times, like, well, if I could just get them to Torrance, 
He just knows. No, 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 no. Like, I love being able to talk about my faith and what Jesus has done in my life. Like, that, like, it's the most important thing to me. But I want you to have the joy and privilege of seeing some of your friends and coworkers and neighbors and folks that God's put into your life learn more about Jesus and decide to follow him because they see you dancing. Because you had the guts to invite them onto the dance floor. Number four, Jesus is the only salvation, John 14, 6. I will admit, this is the least popular of all of these things, right? Because we live in a society that says, no, you can't tell me that I'm wrong. You can't tell me that, 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 that what I think right now is incorrect. It's not loving to tell me that there's only one way. I believe that all roads get to heaven. Well, maybe. Maybe if you want to believe that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to trust the Bible. Because I've seen it as true. Now I get that it's like, well, that seems so arrogant and narrow-minded. Maybe. Maybe the same way that if somebody tries to warn you that vaping's bad for your health. If you loved me, you would let me vape. No. No, if I loved you, I'm going to tell you that vaping is going to make your lungs look like an 80-year-old man. Even though you're 18. Okay? Like, if I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not because I want it to be that way. It's because that's what Scripture says. Would I love it if all roads led to heaven? Honestly, I would. You know why? Uh, because it would make being a pastor in this culture a lot easier. But the truth is, is I don't believe that's what's actually true. Because I, I, I trust that this book right here is not just written by humans, but is actually inspired by God. And that when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody gets to the Father, nobody gets to heaven except through me. I trust that that's true, even if our entire society says, I don't buy it. Jesus is the only salvation. Number five, you were given the Holy Spirit for this purpose. All right? You were given the Holy Spirit for this purpose. Uh, God has given you his spirit, actually indwells in you, all God, all in you. Crazy, this is crazy talk right here, all right? But the whole reason, one of the reasons, we've been given the Spirit is so that we can be bold to proclaim. Look at what it says in Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to receive power so you can be my witnesses. Number six, evangelism is necessary for your own growth in Christ. If you're not talking about it, if you're not telling other people about it, you're not going to be growing into the image of God that God desires for you. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Number seven, people won't be saved unless they hear. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they call, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You're like, I'm not a preacher. All right, don't get hung up on the word preaching. Get rid of that word. Just say, uh, uh, until, unless somebody tells them, unless somebody shares with them, unless somebody explains it to them. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I'd like to show you some of the most beautiful feet I've ever seen in just a minute. But right now, uh, I think everybody got one of these when you came in. Uh, it's a loving your local card. Y'all got one of these? Austin said earlier, we like to put a local in front of everything that we do, right? Loving your local card. So, 
Um, you'll see uh, on the back, it, uh, it's an acronym, right? List, open, care, ask, lead, local. It doesn't even really work. We made it work. This is so bad, but I had to at least acknowledge it. L, list. List 8 to 15 people with whom you have developed relational equity, all right? Who's the folks that are just lo like your local barber, right? Your, your local barista, your local bartender, your local coworker, your local neighbor, your family member that lives around you, people that you come in contact with on the consistent, right? Eight to 15, I love we have like 10 slots there. We don't have eight or 15, we got 10, that's okay. It's all right, you only got eight, put eight. You only got three, put three. You got 15, double them up, okay, all right? Well, you can, it's all right. Uh, open, <laughs> this is the one that doesn't work. We literally made up the word open. Pray for them, that, that's what we want you to do. We want you to pray. But the problem is, if you put pray in there, then it's like, kale, and then it doesn't work. So we thought about putting O-pray, but then it was like, we're not Irish, so that didn't make sense either. But look, just write down some folks that God's laid on your heart, and then just start praying for them. Like, pray God's blessing. Like, be like, God, work in their life. God, open them up. Give me opportunities to talk about what you're doing in my life. And God, just like, start to like, bless them. Like, pray blessings over their lives. The third thing is care. Watch for creative ways to bless and be generous towards your people. Buy them some coffee. Bring them in a donut. Or hummus, if that sounds like healthier. I don't know, like, it'd be maybe a weird gift, I guess. But give them some hummus, okay, with some chips. Uh, do stuff to care for them, okay? A is ask. Invite them to dance. Let them see you dancing. Now y'all know why I don't dance in public all that much. I, look, I can't dance, but I'll tell you this. If you're, whoop, if you're dancing and you're having fun and you're enjoying yourself, people love a terrible dancer that doesn't care, right? They love that. People want to be a part of that. You don't have to be the best dancer, but you do have to invite people onto the dance floor. Ask, invite them into your life group or, or a serving opportunity that you're doing. Invite them into your life. Invite them to church. L, lead. Become an example of Christ to them and a minister of grace. Just live your life in front of them. Your local card. Now, uh, I want to show you a picture of a man with some beautiful feet. This guy right up here in the Cubs shirt. That man is Lloyd Burgefield. Uh, it's actually Lloyd's parents, Elmer and Lenora that I think have some of the most beautiful feet. Uh, Elmer and Lenora uh, passed away a number of years ago, uh, but Elmer and Lenora Burgefield uh, fell in love with Jesus. Jesus meant everything to them. Uh, my uh, grandfather uh, met them in his 20s. Uh, my grandfather uh, had a rough life growing up. Um, my great-grandmother was eight months pregnant with my grandfather, he had, uh, they had, she had two young boys already. He was going to be number three. Uh, crazy story, but their cow fell in a well. And uh, my great-grandfather needed my great-grandmother to help get the cow out of the well. And so um, uh, she helped him, and uh, she went into premature labor. And my grandfather was born, and two hours later, my great-grandmother died. Uh, not before naming my grandfather Bliss. Uh, my 
great-grandfather was so angry, didn't know how to process his emotions, uh, that he disowned my grandfather in the hospital. Never visited him, didn't take him home. And so my great-aunt actually brought my grandfather home. She had just had a baby a couple months earlier, and so she wet-nursed my grandfather for the next six months. She had enough uh, kids on her hands already that when he was six months old, uh, she then took my grandfather and gave him to my, uh, his maternal grandparents, who then raised him until he was in ninth grade. They lived out in the country, though, in the high school. Uh, it was too far away for him to be able to walk uh, every day, so he went and lived at an egg factory, uh, like a chicken, they made, they did eggs, I don't know what you call that, a hatchery. And uh, he literally lived in a room there, worked there, so that he could go to high school, and that's what he did throughout high school. Uh, my grandfather had every reason to believe that God was not real. That God did not care about him. That God was not with him. That God had forgotten about him or that God didn't exist at all. He didn't grow up going to church. He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't care about God. He met my grandmother. They wound up getting married. Uh, and it was Lloyd Burgefield's dad, Elmore, that gave uh, my grandfather a piece of land to farm, uh, rented it to him. Uh, it turns out that uh, the small house that my grandma and grandpa lived on uh, was really close to Elmore and Lenora's home. The property was really close, and uh, they did stuff of legend. Like, it's so cool, I, I literally sometimes wonder how true it is. Uh, the stories I heard was that Lenora would sneak over to my grandparents' clothesline at night, and she would take clothes off the clothesline, steal them, bring them back to her house, and she would sew up the patches and rips and put them back on the clothesline in the morning. They would take fruit from their fruit trees as special little gifts, and they would stuff them in the clothes uh, pockets of the kids uh, on the clothesline. And they just loved on my grandparents. And uh, eventually, uh, Elmore and Lenora invited uh, my grandparents to dance, invited them to church. And uh, my grandmother said yes, and my grandfather said no. And my grandma started going for a couple of months, and uh, God was starting to do something in her heart and life. And she eventually talked my grandfather into going to church. And my grandfather started going and realized that uh, God was doing something in his life. And a guy who was pretty hard before, uh, he was a nice guy, but didn't have any need or use for God because God didn't seem to have any need or use for him, or at least that's what he thought. And then all of a sudden he began to realize that maybe God was there all that time. And maybe God did love him. And he eventually gives his life to Jesus. Because Elmore and Lenora had beautiful feet and were willing to dance and were willing to invite my grandparents into the dance, it transformed generations. I'm a product of Elmore and Lenora's dancing. And friends, that's what I want our church to be about. I want to have stories of generations down the road of people's lives and families who are transformed because you were willing to dance. And not only that, but you were willing to invite people in. Say, hey, come check out. You don't have to know everything. You just have to say, this is what Jesus is. I used to be blind, now I can see. That's all it takes. 
and together, we'll make fools of ourselves, and we will have a riot doing it, and we will see lives transformed. Father God, you are the one that does the work. You call and you draw and you work in people's lives. And God, maybe there's even somebody in here today that, God, you're just doing something in their heart and their mind and they know it. Uh, maybe even right now they don't even like it <laughs> um, because they don't want to believe and yet they can't help themselves. Uh, Jesus, remind them how much you love them and care for them. And God, would you give us a heart to love and care for the folks that are kind of in our local spheres? The folks we run into on the regular. God, give us opportunities to talk about who you are. Give us the courage to invite people in to this crazy dance. And then, God, we want to see you transform lives. Thanks for the lives that you have already transformed and are currently transforming, mine notwithstanding. But, God, we want to see more. Things that only we can say, man, only you, Jesus, could have done that. We pray all these things for your name, for your glory, Jesus. Amen.